Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Hey, Stacey, how's North Carolina? Hey, John. Uh, we are doing well. We're in the midst of what would be our fall season here, so the trees are turning and the air is crisp with the smell of fall. Um, so I can't complain. Of course, that would mean I would have to walk outside my house and enjoy it. I haven't done much of that in preparing for uh, the upcoming HR Tech Conference um, and um, our release of our big uh, annual HR System Survey white paper. But but we're doing good here. And how about you? Are you getting a little bit of breath of fresh air? Are things getting a little bit more normal there yet? Or how are you guys doing? No, 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 no. This is. It turns mm-hmm. out I wasn't expecting this. It turns out that this is trade show season. And 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 I am so booked um, that that I get I get up at six o'clock in the morning and I go to bed at uh, eight or nine o'clock um, and don't do much but work and try to get a little bit of food <laughs> because 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 it's the busy season right it's just the busy season and and. Um, It'll be quiet in January, and so I forgot because of the pandemic that that's the rhythm of the of the um, um, work year for me, and um, it took me a little off guard. But but now that I'm in, I'm psyched. I I spent a little bit of time yesterday setting up my room for the um, the analyst room at the HR Tech Conference, mm-hmm. and and. I imagine I'm going to get to have 30 or 40 really good conversations that week. Um, and so I'm psyched. I'm psyched. Things are, things are taking a sort of semi-intelligible rhythm that hasn't been around for, for months and months and months. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. great. No. That's it's great. Coming out on a virtual level, right? But it, but it is definitely – the the energy is up. That's I think at least what I'm feeling, and which is what we get to feel a lot of times around this time of season, which is nice, right? Yeah, yeah. The energy is up. It's you, you know I I saw something on Twitter yesterday where somebody said, "I never thought I'd say I miss Las Vegas," and <laughs> and, 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 and it isn't it isn't that bad for me, but but I do have this. There's a. Um, a regularity to the um, events in the industry. There was a regularity to the events in the industry. And so you can sort of count on seeing a certain range of people in certain places over time. You know, my sort of my office all these years has been on the road in traveling with the pack of analysts that we traveled with and um, seeing the friends and companies. And the HR Tech Conference was always the place where that happened, um, and and it's interesting to not be doing it this year. There are people yeah. I'm really going to miss seeing. Yeah, it, it's been funny when I when I look back. You know, we see on on Facebook, Facebook in particular for me, but I think Instagram too does a little bit of it. Um, you know, you see the what you did last year at this time of you know things and. You know, it's filled with the Las Vegas and the events and the pictures from from seeing friends, and that's a big part of I think our our cycle and and actually what helps us I think, um, you know, many people oftentimes ask me you know what our work is like, and I said you know it's 
we have colleagues. It's just that they're not colleagues within our individual organizations oftentimes. They're colleagues that they're spread across, you know, all the other research firms in the market because we all travel and, and go to the same events. And so there's a lot of idea sharing in the hallways, in the, you know, um, between lunches, and even while we're in sessions where we're sort of um, sitting in the back of the room, we're very much like schoolroom children sometimes, you know, you know, commenting on what's going on around in the session. And I think that piece of it for me, I've, I've really had to artificially pull it together in some way. I've had to call friends and call people. I spoke to Stacia Gar last week, and I hadn't talked to her for a while. And, and you know, I, I talked to a couple other people virtually um, via email to just feel like I got a sense of what's going on in the market. I think it's part of what, you know, me and you talking every week has always been helpful for But I do think that that, um, that distance away from those people has caused a, a, a harder time to get your arms around what's going on in the in the market, right? Uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, um, uh, that's that's an interesting question. I I wonder. I I don't know that I. I don't know that it's been terribly difficult to understand what's been going on in the market <laughs> this, last, this last year. Everybody's trying to not go out of business. Yeah, that means that means focusing on things that weren't priorities the year before, like yeah. like how do you get people back to work, you know, and um, and that's where our, our practitioner friends, all of their energy is focused on that, right? It's that that's kind of the point of the the presentation that I put together for HR Tech, which is that HR's priorities have changed and they've changed dramatically and it isn't temporary. Yeah. Right? They've changed so that safety you can't have an organization today where the HR department is concerned about anything other than safety first. Everything is after that. Um, everything. And and it may be you know now now getting people paid, that's safety, right? That's financial yeah. safety. Um, but but beyond, above and beyond that, it's it's very difficult partly because we don't know still what an organization is if it doesn't have people meeting at the heart. Yeah. Uh, right. It, and and we yeah. we don't do that the same way anymore. No, we don't. And, and I think the, the, the vendors in our space are trying to figure this out and the, and the consulting practice firms and the, and the system integrators. It's been interesting, you know, actually some of the stuff that I, that I pulled to talk about this week is a little bit of all of that is sort of everybody wading into this conversation in a way to sort of, we call it the future of work, but I don't, I don't think it's the right language because I think the future of work kind of, feels like it's, it's about just innovation. And I think this is, is, is more than just an innovation conversation. It's a, a shift in priorities, I think, as you were talking about, right? Um, and that is definitely coming through in the data um, where, the, where the, the – it's interesting that the level of frustration with the, with the technology is not as high as it was last year, right? There's there, – it, it, it's either the same or slightly lower this year. Um, you see that in the user experience scores from our data this year. 
but there is a a different um, a different level of commentary that we got on the report this year about you know the kind of things people are missing, the gaps they're having in their technology. And a lot of it has to do with the basics, the reporting, the integration, the data sharing, the stuff that I think we oftentimes overlooked you know, for the sake of newer, cool technologies, right? Well, there's, so, so, so I'm, I'm going I'm to try to double back on what you said. So, so first, I don't think we know what work is anymore, right? We knew you went to the office, you did the stuff at the office, and then you came home, and you could tell it was work because you you weren't doing it at home, um, you know. And and there wasn't a lot of standardization because what constitutes the creation of value in an information world wasn't really very well understood. So you could have the big consulting firms where people go to five or six meetings a day, and that's value. And you have big engineering firms where, where if you go to a meeting twice a week, you're wasting somebody's time, and that's value, right? And 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 so this this consensus about what work actually is wasn't there before the crash, and now we're picking through the pieces trying to figure out whether or not there are standard ways to think about working when you don't have the blessing of running into each other, right? And that's a that's a Big, big change, um, and it forces you to look at the questions that that I don't know where I've been talking about for years, which is if your data isn't clean, you don't have anything, right? Yeah. And so, so, so now what people are discovering is the building blew up. We've got the foundations of the building. We're looking at the foundations of the building. Oh my God, they were rotten anyhow. Um, and and so the right and so the focus is on how do we get the data in order so that we can do the next thing, and that's a safety question. It turns out that data integration and data maintenance and data cleanliness at the core of the organization is inherently a safety issue. Um, and, yeah. Right. Right, and, and yeah. we had, didn't have to see it that way because people's lives didn't depend on the data being right. But now that we can't bump into the HR person and make that little correction with that little slip of paper on, on the sort of the, the long-term extension of the old sneaker net, um, and we actually have to get it right as it goes in, and we have to have it right before we use it, means that payroll-like precision is going to have to be applied to all of the data in the HR domain. And um, most people don't like payroll levels of precision. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, and that's a very good way of putting it. You know, I, there's there's a lot of people that I work with um, who are in payroll administrator or oversight roles in, um, in the work that I do on the board with IRM. And, um, you know, I think I've seen them take some of these um, challenges a lot more, um, you know, the level of, of, of uh, required sort of detail that payroll has to go through is so expected that I think this, this next step as we're going through the sort of the COVID crisis management models and, and, and what that looks like inside of organizations feels like more of what they're used to doing where everyone else is sort of 
having a little bit of a, of a freak out about it because talent management has never been held. Skills, why would I have to worry that much about what skills I have tracked inside my talent management system, right? Why is it that critical until you have to move an entire workforce from one job to another, right? That, then all of a sudden it becomes as critical as your payroll data. Um, and that's been an interesting exactly. shift to see. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so that means that the that the fluffy stuff on top and, and, and fluffy is, is strong, but the yeah. but the sort of development parts are are the third priority, not the first priority. And they were the first priority for a long time. You know, the and and it's not that development isn't important, but you can't have development till you have safety in the workplace and a healthy workforce working there. And, yeah, exactly. Um, right? And then you can have development, but until until you figure out the safety of the workplace and the health of the workforce, you got you get what we have right now, which is which is not enough ability to pay attention to relationships, even though all we seem to do is be in long meetings with other people. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Isn't yeah. that weird? And it's, it's because relationships don't happen at the conference table. Relationships happen in the halls. <laughs> and we don't have any halls. We have no halls. But I think that sort of there, there's been a couple of, um, of interesting topics this week about what that's doing. Um, there was a, a C-suite survey that talked about sort of how executives and employees are seeing this. There's some big, big conversations about mental health around this topic. Um, Gartner just did a, did a big research study on this and what it's like to be engaged. But, you know, for me, I, I take it back to a very personal um, event. I remember the the first time I had worked remotely was when I was working back my early days of working for Burson and Associates when it was a very small organization. And for four years, we had worked remotely as an entire team. And then um, in, in sort of like a three-month period, we bought offices and moved part of our California team into an office environment. And it very quickly became those who were in the office versus those of us who were still in the field in remote environments there was a difference in what we were getting told, what kind of information, who got to go out to lunch. It wasn't so much the remote work itself. It was the difference between sort of where people were having those conversations and where they were not. And so what I'd be interested in understanding is when the whole world is remote, you know, are we, are we recreating hallways and lunch environments by sort of, tailoring who we're talking to and limiting where we're sharing our information, right? Well, this is, I, I think we may have talked about this before, but Humanize has done amazing work looking at the difference in a normal organization pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And norm, normal is probably a stretch. So let's, let's say this is the average of a bunch of different companies um, over time and, and not not characterize it as normal but but in the old days um, an average employee had 2.9 close relationships and 40 second order relationships so the the 2.9 relationships were with people you spend more than an hour a week with 
And the mm-hmm. 42nd order relationships are the people you spend 15 minutes or less a week with. Today, it's seven close relationships and 15 second order relationships. So, so oh, wow. we're spending much more time with specific individuals and no time in the halls, essentially. Right. And yeah. so the question is, question is, if that's if that's what's happening, that that the center of the network is getting bigger and the edges of the network are getting smaller, um, is that a sustainable way to run an organization? Um, and I think what we're going to notice, you 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 know, I I always have a, a, a snarky thing or two to say about the difference <laughs> between management and the people who actually do the work. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the people in management are concerned with accounting for things, basically. And, and the people who do the work are, are in charge of doing the work. And the people at the top in those close relationships at the center of the network think that they're where the value is and where the value actually happens is in the people you don't have that many many steady interactions with. And part of the reason you don't have those complicated reactions with them is they're doing work. (laughs) (laughs) And they don't have time to give you an hour. They have time to give you five minutes because they're doing their jobs. Um, But that's where the work actually happens. Right and 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 when and when you when you don't have those things, then you've got a lot of people in the center talking about the work and nobody doing it. Um, <laughs> and, I'm just envisioning a really good cartoon out of all this, Jeff. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, it, it feels like it's 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 a it's an office joke, right? You know, but but it but you're right. I mean, it's um. When when the, the humanized data is fascinating, and we've talked about the work they're doing. I don't think you've actually shared the numbers previously, and and those numbers are fascinating because the idea that you are creating sort of a, a bigger small circle, but that that small circle is still made up of a very um, very similar group of people who are all probably managers or so, right? And then your sort of work environment is much more dispersed. Um, it creates a, a really interesting dynamic there of of um, not just communication requirements, but it also requ- requires a different set of of I basically sort of translating who is the skilled worker in your organization, right? I mean, I think that's been one we saw in our data that 60% of organizations who said they they needed data about critical skills didn't have it, right? Um, who like who was the, the the most critical worker in their organization? I should say, and so I think what you're just saying is that I don't think companies, even if they have the data, may have had it correct, right? Like it, it may not have been. It may have said that our our, our um, management and our succession plans are are high potentials, but in reality, when you when you realize that it's actually your frontline workers in the grocery store and who are your register workers, that is your high potentials in this kind of environment. It changes the whole thing you're thinking about, right? Well, that, so, so that is, I think that's, that's a, a string to tug on a little bit. I am starting to conclude 
that the very meaning of data changes with circumstances, right? And so I always, I always had this assumption that once it was in the machine and and it had been counted, and you could you could make charts with lines that go eternally up to the right um, hand corner of the um, of the graph, that the data was something that was like like a solid object. And it turns out that what the data means depends on the circumstances that you're looking at it in. Um, and, and that data is way more elastic than I ever imagined. Part of the reason you need it clean is, is you can't look at it till it's clean, but once you're able to look at it, it may mean different things in different settings. So yeah. the example I'm, I'm seeing here is when you make a um, a forecast about somebody's likelihood of leaving, a retention forecast or a flight risk forecast, every single flight risk forecast ever built has a factor for commute time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is math, right? So when commute time goes to zero, the whole formula collapses because you can't multiply by zero. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so it isn't just oh, it's a little wrong. It's like the whole thing doesn't make any sense because commute time is part of it. And I've sat through in the last month ten briefings where people used commute time as the example of why their stuff was okay. And and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, for it's a K-shaped, it's, it really is a K-shaped economy now. And there are the people who can stay home and commute time doesn't matter. But that doesn't mean they're going to stay with your company forever. And there are the people on the downside of the K whose worlds are getting smaller, whose work is getting harder, who don't get to work from home. And, and commute time means even more to them because they're being asked to work longer and harder. Um, yeah. And... It's weird, right? So there was one variable, and you could make all sorts of assumptions about it, and then it turned out to be half wrong overnight. <laughs> overnight, yes. Um, well, and, that's, and I think that that's, what, that's a characteristic of okay. data. It is, and and I think what you're saying is is context. Every piece of data has to have a, a, a set of context with it. What was the situation when it was gathered? What is the situation now? And, and how have those changed? And I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I will have to be honest. I have not done a ton of briefings with planning tools. It's actually on my list for next year to start looking at. Um, interestingly, um, uh, I don't know if um, uh, you knew Chorus over at um, SAP. He'd been there for about nine years. He'd come from Oracle as well. Just reached out to me. He's um, now over at Anaplan um, on their HR side of things. Um, and they're growing a, a growing HR planning business over at Anaplan. And I was fascinated to just hear from him that, you know, they're, he's, they're sort of rethinking the idea of what that looks like. Um, and I think that the next level of planning that we're going to have to see come out of any HR technology or any kind of uh, analytics technology has to have a tool that allows you to contextualize it, right, in some way. 
Yeah, but you know what? You know what? Uh, let me give you my favorite example these days, which is engagement scores. Do you know that in- engagement scores are the highest they've ever been, and they've been on a steady climb since the 11th of March? Um, and so, so if you just sat back and you said, oh, engagement scores, hey, we're doing really well. Everybody's happy. Look at the engagement score. Um, you'd be making a tragic error in context. It turns out, and nobody has this context yet, but it turns out that, let me give you some factors. Trapped in your house, hard to get access to resources, life under threat, um, lose somebody close or know somebody who knows somebody who's died. That's what it's like to live in a war zone. Right, and so I've started looking at uh, the data about um, what does it mean to be in constant trauma, um, and and we've been as a culture and as members of organizations in constant trauma, and there's some very interesting things. The first normal response to um, to trauma is a heroic response. And we've seen that, and, and, and all of the people in all of the organizations have worked just as hard as they can to try to keep things going, even though it's been pretty weird, but it's seven months now, or eight months now, however, how many, however, many, however many months it's been since Monday, um, and, um, and people are burning out. People are burning out, and that's the second stage when you have sustained trauma on a population is the the heroic time is followed immediately by a collapse um, and then the building out after after everybody has sort of peaked, burned out, and hit their bottom, the way out is is through grief right and so it's not a it's not anything like a V-shaped emotional recovery. It's, it is a it is a rise to extreme heights followed by a crash to extreme lows, followed by a lot of hard work. And, and I think that's where we are. Um, but you couldn't get that from looking at um, engagement scores and thinking, oh, engagement's up. Yeah. So so that's the long way of saying it. I don't know how you provide the context. I I don't know how you do that because context changes. Yeah, well, but I I think that's that's exactly what I'm saying is that um, context has to be a variable variable that we can change inside the system. And I think right now it generally is set as as pretty much a, a, a constant at one level or another, right? This happened in 1991 and in 1990. Right, right. And so I think that's that's the challenge is that the new planning tools have to figure out a way to to allow you to change context. Um and, and we just haven't figured that out yet because because it does. It has such an impact on the data. I mean uh, you know, um and that's the difference between a human analyzing the data and a system analyzing the data today, right? The human yeah. has the ability to hold multiple contexts in its head. Right? That's that's great. So so you imagine some sort of an interface that allows you to go, huh, what if really high engagement scores is a really bad thing? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's that that's 
that's what you're looking for a tool that, that, that would allow you to make that sort of analysis of, you know, what if, what if Stacy's stellar performance over the last five years makes her exactly not fit to be the new boss? And, and look at it and ask the question, what happens if the context changes? So that's yeah. good. That's good. That, that's that, and it would be great to have our machines do help us do that. Yeah, I think we're a ways off from it yet, but it's also, I think, a reason why we have to step back and and the machines have a, a place, but we have to at this point in time in in the technology movement make sure people are involved in every step of the process, right? Um, and and that's, I think, the piece that. Um, that we may be struggling with, I think, in the market is is where and when do you insert the human influence in those conversations, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Well, we've managed to not talk about any news today. I think this is a, I think this is a first. <laughs> we, we should make a quick note. We, we did have a stage analyst event uh, this week, both you and I attended to. Um, it was a really great event with some good updates. Maybe next week we'll 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 uh, uh, touch a bit on that. We also have the HR Tech Conference next week that that will both be, uh, or not next week but the week after that we'll both be speaking at. So there will be some updates um, before that event too. So um, so busy weeks, but maybe next week we'll get to some of these bigger topics or at least the the uh, things that are happening in the market here. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think we should think about changing the name of the show to. We're going to try to get to the news pretty soon. <laughs> it, it would be, you know, the, the news has its place, but sometimes when we're going through a shared trauma like we've been talking about, you just need room to think about it. That's what we've been doing, John. It's it's it's, it's really part of the grief process. Having been through it recently myself, that's what we're doing. It's also good. <laughs> so. Good. Okay, well, thanks for doing this as usual, Stacey, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, you've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. 288 shows, Stacey. Thanks wow. for tuning in. We will thanks, see you back here next week. Bye-bye now. Bye.